We continue the sermon series, Glimpses of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. We're reading this morning from Matthew chapter 9. I invite you to open uh, your Bible or one of the Pew Bibles to Matthew chapter uh, 9, which is on page 813 in your black Pew Bible. Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Gracious Father, we give you thanks that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have come to us with grace and power through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray your blessing upon the reading and hearing of your word. We pray that you would visit us and open our ears and illumine our minds with your spiritual light that we might behold the wonderful grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, even here and now in our midst. To his name be praise and honor. Amen. Matthew 9, let us hear the word of God. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and to his name be all Praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. His heart was as hard and cold as a stone, and his soul was as calloused as a camel's knees. He had no use for religion, and religion had no use for him. He was unwanted and unwelcomed by those who gathered in the synagogue. The good people of Capernaum despised and rejected him. Matthew was a tax collector. 
Now, you have to understand that being a tax collector was about more than the money. Money was only a small part of the reason that tax collectors were despised and rejected by their fellow Jews. Palestine, remember, was occupied territory. Jewish tax collectors had turned their backs on their own people and had gone into the service of their pagan conquerors, the Romans. A tax collector was a collaborator, a turncoat, a fraternizer with the enemy. Matthew, a Jew, collected taxes for Caesar, and he skimmed a hefty profit off the top for himself for the sake of supporting the empire Gentile dogs. Matthew gouged his own kinsmen. He betrayed his nation for his own personal profit. How can a man do that and still have any sense of dignity or conscience? What kind of a man would betray the deepest convictions of his family's faith, his nation's heritage, and his friend's welfare, just to have a secure job in the bureaucratic offices of an enemy empire. What kind of a man would do that? Well, he was a Jew, and as a child he had learned the words of Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. But now he couldn't even step foot in the synagogue in Capernaum. He was unclean, tainted by contact and commerce with the Gentiles. And as far as the religious standards of the day, he was on a par with thieves and prostitutes, his friends. His heart was as hard and as cold as a stone, his soul as calloused, as a camel's knees. And as Jesus passed through Capernaum, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Now, why would Jesus do that? I mean, didn't he know what kind of man Matthew was? Of course he knew, because he saw Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Of course Jesus knew, because, well, because Jesus was Jesus. But didn't Jesus know? Didn't he know that to associate himself with Matthew would be to make himself unclean? He can't do that. Can he do that? Why would a prophet or rabbi of Israel willingly choose to call a tax collector to be his disciple? And why would Matthew follow? Jesus said, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. What's the point? What's the point? What does Matthew himself want us to see in this passage? Well, you know, of course, we are reading the Gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew's cameo appearance in his own Gospel. This is Matthew's personal signature on his own book. 
His fingerprints are right here. This is Matthew's personal testimony of his own experience of the amazing grace and powerful mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew wants us to see that he himself in his own life experienced the mercy of Jesus, the amazing grace which he proclaims to the world in his gospel. This is Matthew's way of saying, it happened to me. Matthew wants us to see the miracle which took place in his own life. But in order for us to see the miracle which took place in his own life, in this passage, we first need to see the miracle that takes place in the passage immediately preceding this one, which we read in verses 1 through 8. So now we're going to back up. Some people brought to Jesus a paralyzed man lying on his bed. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes, the religious teachers standing there, thought to themselves, this man is blaspheming. He can't say anything like that. In the Gospel of Mark, it explains that only God can forgive sins. Who does this fellow think that he is? Good question. And Jesus replied, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw the paralytic get up and walk, they were afraid. They were awestruck. They glorified God. Huh. Now, what would it have been like for you to have seen Jesus merely speak to a paralyzed man and then see the paralyzed man get up and walk. An amazing miracle, right? Yes, and, and Matthew wants us to see just that. He wants us to see that that amazing miracle, the healing of the paralytic, is exactly what happened to him when Jesus called him to follow. You see, that's the reason that Matthew places these two scenes together. He wants us to see these two scenes together. The first scene, the healing of the paralytic, is a foreshadowing, a prefiguring of the second scene, the calling of Matthew. Matthew is telling us that he himself was just as much a paralyzed man as the man who was brought to Jesus on the bed. It was the power of Jesus' word that gave life to the paralyzed legs of that man. It was the power of Jesus' word that gave life to Matthew's paralyzed soul. It might not have looked like a miracle, but it was. It was just as much of a miracle. A paralyzed man got up and walked home, and a tax collector got up and followed Jesus. John Calvin comments that in the choice of Matthew, we have a striking instance of the grace of God. He was chosen to be an apostle, says Calvin, that he might be an example of Christ's 
undeserved goodness and might show that the calling of all of us depends not on the merits of our righteousness, but on his pure kindness. Why would Jesus call Matthew? For exactly the same reason that he would call you and me. Because of his pure kindness. His undeserved goodness. His free mercy. His sovereign grace. So that we might be a walking witness to the wonders of his unearned love. Just like the call of the four fishermen, the call of Matthew shows us the way in which Jesus Christ draws us to himself by his call of sovereign grace. We who profess the name of Christ, we who have heard that call and have responded in faith, we are reminded to see ourselves To see ourselves in these gospel accounts of the paralyzed man and the despised tax collector. They are mirrors in which we may see ourselves and what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now your sins may not have been on public display as Matthew's were. Your treachery may not have been as visible as Matthew's. Your paralysis not as obvious as the man on his bed. But the miracle is the same. The miracle of grace is the same. So don't make the mistake of the Pharisees. Don't make the mistake of comparing yourself to others and assuming that you don't need as much mercy as they do. That is the self-delusion of the hypocrite. Don't think that someone else's salvation is more of a miracle than your own. Do not deceive yourself by believing that you yourself are not in need of amazing grace and undeserved mercy and kindness. Don't assume that you began to follow Jesus out of the goodness of your own heart or your own wisdom and common sense. If we are following Jesus today, it is only because of his call of grace. Otherwise, we would still be paralyzed, lying on our beds, or hard at work at the tax office. It is all and all only because of his undeserved mercy, his pure kindness, his amazing grace. On the other hand, maybe you are someone today who has felt cut off and cast out. Maybe you are today someone whose heart has become as hard and as cold as a stone. Maybe you are somebody who feels as though God would never accept you at this point because you think you're not good enough for God or that your life has already gone too far or or that you are unworthy and unacceptable and not the right kind of person. Well, if that's who you are, then see yourself in Matthew's story and let Matthew tell you it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus, the friend of sinners. 
He's the right kind of person, the right kind of Savior for you, for me. Just look at what happened next. Matthew invited Jesus to his house for a dinner party. Now, that was Matthew's expression of repentance. That was Matthew's expression of accepting Jesus, a party at his house. And so not only did Matthew leave his tax office, you see, he invited Jesus into his home for fellowship. And Luke describes it as a great feast, a great feast. And guess who else was there? Some of Matthew's old friends. He tells us many tax collectors and sinners were there along with Jesus and his disciples. And I bet that that crowd knew how to have a good time. (laughs) But now look, look at what's happening here. And remember, those of you who were here last Sunday, remember the passage from last Sunday, the three glimpses of the leper and the Gentile centurion and Peter's mother-in-law being brought in. You see, Matthew was an outcast from his community, cut off from the people of God. His friends were outcasts, cut off from the community of faith. They weren't welcome with the good people, the right people. But now there they were, having a party. And it was all because of Jesus. They were being brought together around him receiving from him the acceptance and the mercy which they had long been denied. Jesus was happy to be with them. They were happy to be with him. Right there in Matthew's house, in the midst of that feasting with Jesus, a new kind of community was being formed. A new fellowship based not on the personal righteousness of its members, not on the merits earned by religious ritual, not on the basis of conservative religious tradition, not on the premise of public reputation, but a new fellowship, a new community based only and completely upon the pure kindness and the undeserved mercy and goodness and amazing grace of God freely offered in Jesus Christ. But not everybody was happy about it. The Pharisees, the good people, the right people, who thought they were pleasing God by their separation from sinners, saw that Jesus was in Matthew's house having a blast with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. And so the Pharisees took offense and said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do that? Just explain that. Why does he do that? Okay, now look. See the two glimpses together. See the two scenes together. In the first one, Jesus heals, physically heals a paralyzed man. First, he had spoken the word of spiritual healing. Your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees took offense. He is blaspheming. That was a serious charge. And this begins, this really, uh, this scene marks the beginning of of the building opposition to Jesus, which is going to increase from this point forward. But to prove that he had divine authority to forgive sins, Jesus said, get up, take up your bed, and go home. And the man got up, took his bed, and went home. There's a moment of new creation there by the power of the Word of God. Think about it like this. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus said, 
take up your bed and go home. And the man took up his bed and go home and went home. Matthew writes it just like it's written in Genesis 1. This is a moment of new creation by the power of the word of God. Then when Jesus saw Matthew, he said, follow me. Matthew followed him. God said, let there be light. There was light. Jesus said, follow me. He got up and followed him. Another creation, new creation by the power of the word of God. But again, the Pharisees took offense. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And it was, it was as though they had already forgotten about the healing of the paralyzed man, which proved Jesus' authority to forgive sins. I mean, why can't, you know, they're not getting this. He has the authority to forgive sins. He has the power to give new life. So Jesus says, look, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus was reminding them of what they just seen. Didn't you just see me heal the man? He was telling them that the healing of a paralyzed man was no different from the calling of Matthew. But he did so with a stinging rebuke, a sharp edge of irony in words that the Pharisees could not forget because it cut them to the heart. Those who are well do not need a physician. In other words, look, if you're spiritually healthy through your own religious works, if you're justified by the merits of your own religious rituals, if you have no need for God's free grace and undeserved mercy and unearned love, good for you. Good for you. If you don't need God's grace, you won't get God's grace. If you don't need God's mercy, you won't get God's mercy. If you don't want to celebrate the salvation of sinners, this party is not for you. Because the kingdom of God does not belong to those who think they deserve it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven. And isn't this the point? Isn't this the point? Those who think that they deserve the kingdom of heaven are paralyzed. Paralyzed. Paralyzed by their self righteous pride. Why would Jesus call Matthew? Why would Jesus call you and me? Because Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And Jesus' call to repentance is the call to, to leave our paralysis behind and our misery behind. To follow the one who is pure kindness and undeserved mercy and unearned love. It's an invitation to his feast of mercy. Jesus' call to repentance is the word that heals us, that sets us free from the paralysis of our sins so that we can get up and walk in newness of life following him. And, and you see in these glimpses of Jesus in the healing of the paralytic and the calling of Matthew, we see a glimpse of the cross. This is where this is headed, to the cross. Do you see it? Do you remember? 
for the sake of despised and rejected tax collectors and sinners such as you and I, Jesus became one of us and took our place. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He contaminated himself with our sins. He became unclean because he became our friend. And therefore, he was despised and rejected. He was cast out. He was cut off on the cross. He died in our place, the righteous one for the unrighteous. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might receive the forgiveness of our sins and be made right with God by his righteousness. As the physician who heals our sin-sick souls, he himself was wounded for our transgressions. With his stripes, we are healed. He came to call sinners to repentance, to invite us to the feast of his mercy in the kingdom of God. He came so that you and I, like Matthew and that paralyzed man, might be walking witnesses of his pure kindness, his undeserved mercy, his unearned love, and his amazing grace. So, let us get up and follow him. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that in your mercy, You have not left us to perish in our sins. We give you thanks that Jesus, your son, loved us and gave himself up for us. We thank you that in him we have the full forgiveness of all our sins. Deliverance from the dominion of the devil. Exodus from slavery. New life with you and the promise of eternal glory. So grant us grace, O Lord, to believe and to live now on earth as citizens of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.